Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hey everyone, welcome to episode two, and this is called Taming the Tantrums. Now, here's the situation. I have had some doozies when I was in the schools and with my own kids, and I even had my own tantrums as an adult. And so I want to spend the time that we have talking about tantrums, what they are, how to tame them, how do you want to show up during them? Do you want to have a tantrum while they're having a tantrum? Because here's the thing, I want to shift your thinking on what you think when you see a tantrum, experience a tantrum, not you yourself, but when you have a child having one. Now, a two-year-old tantrum is the same as a 13-year-old tantrum. It just looks a little different. So a tantrum from a two-year-old might be throwing a sippy cup and a tantrum from a 13-year-old might be throwing the remote control. It's always the same. A tantrum for a two-year-old might be screaming and crying and hitting. And a tantrum from a 15-year-old might be putting on their headphones, putting on the hoodie, and just checking out. And so I want you to see their behavior as a language to you, as a way of trying to talk to you, because they are having a lot of big feelings and a lot of emotions running through their body, and they have no idea what to do. So I want to think, I want you to think about when you are having big feelings, when you're having big emotions. Emotions are part of life and basic human emotions are part of life. And so I feel like during the 18 years that our kids are in our four walls, it's like an emotional laboratory for them of how to handle big feelings, how to handle the negative emotions. We don't even call them negative emotions in our home anymore. We call them the complex emotions. Because remember what I was saying in the last episode, how I wanted my kids to be happy all the time. And here's a myth that Dr. Shafali taught me, and it was such a freeing myth to know. Your kids do not need to be happy all the time. And here's why. Because every emotion that they're feeling at 4, 14, are the same complex emotions that they're going to have at 24, 34, 44. I'm in my 40s and I have complex emotions plenty. And sometimes I do a really good job handling them. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes we have complex emotions as an adult. So we try to buffer away from them like Brooke teaches us. And buffering is just a way to get away from that emotion. If we're feeling sad or angry, then we might eat our feelings away. We might shop our feelings away. We might Netflix them away. We might ice cream them away. We might have a cigarette and smoke them away or a bottle of wine or a glass of wine. So there's ways for us to buffer away from them that actually make the emotion stronger because like Brooke teaches, 
it's like holding a beach ball underneath water and that resistance of that emotion and that buffering away from that emotion causes double the emotion, if that makes any sense. That resistance caused and that, that pushing against it causes more sadness, more anxiety instead of feeling the emotion. So my goal every single day with my kids and my goal for you with your kids is to teach our kids how to feel complex emotions. Because if we're always telling them, go to your room, stop it, go sit in timeout, stop feeling those feelings, stop yelling, stop screaming, stop throwing. We want to change the behavior, but we don't want to change the emotion. Because if we're putting our kids in timeout because they're having a negative emotion, a complex emotion, then they're going to have guilt and shame for having that complex emotion. And they're going to be taught over and over and over for 18 years that when I feel sadness, when I feel frustrated, when I feel disappointment, when I feel angry, when I feel lonely, when I feel guilty, when any of these complex emotions come up, when I feel annoyed, when I feel not good enough, then I'm going to associate guilt and shame. And they're going to try to hold, we're teaching the kids how to hold that beach ball underneath water by putting them in timeout, by sending them to a room, by saying, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it when they have no idea how to stop it. And so what happens is they are learning very early that these emotions are very negative. I shouldn't feel them. And when I do them, I make mommy and daddy upset and I need to go away. I need to push them away and not have them. I'm not allowed to have them in this home. And maybe when you were growing up, you weren't allowed to have the negative emotions, or maybe you were stuffing the emotions, or maybe you were taught to go away. And so what happens is we're teaching them at four, at 14 and growing up to stuff and no, 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 don't feel it, don't feel it, don't feel it. And don't feel it because it's not convenient for me right now because we're at the store or about to leave for school. Don't feel those emotions right now. And they don't know how to shut it off. So that's why sometimes when you say stop it, stop it, stop it. Listen, if stop it worked, I'd be all about, I would have bumper stickers that said stop it. It actually adds flames to the fire. And I only know this because I used to do it. And it would add flames to the fire. And so what happens if we're, if we're teaching them emotions, negative emotions, don't feel them. They're bad. You're bad for feeling them. Then at four, they're going to learn that. Then at 12, they're going to learn that. At 14, then at 17. And so what happens is they go out into the world and they have a complex emotion because they had a breakup or a job loss or a frustrating day at work or a, a coworker that hurt their feelings. And so then they're taught, well, I can't have that negative emotion. I was taught never to feel those feelings. That's not okay. I'm not allowed to have complex emotions. And so then they're going to try to put themselves in their own timeout, their own run to their room. They're going to try to buffer away from them, get away from the feeling, get as far away from the feeling. And the best way they're going to know how to do that, they can't put themselves in timeout and go sit on the timeout rug. They're going to go try to shop the feelings away or eat the feelings away or drink the feelings away or drug the feelings away or smoke the feelings away. They're trying to get away from those negative emotions. Instead, I want for the 18 years that they're in our homes to teach them that complex emotions are part of the human experience. And you're going to feel complex emotions and you're going to have happy emotions and you're going to have joy and you're going to have excitement and you're going to have all the euphoria emotions too. But part of the human experience is having the complex emotions too. So the more that we can normalize those feelings for these 18 years, the better. 
So when my kids get upset, I'm like, bring it on. I know how to hold the space. Let's do this emotion together. Here's what the emotion is. And guess what, kiddo? I feel that way sometimes too. And your kids will look at you like, oh, she gets me. Are you kidding me? That connection is what's going to lead to cooperation. Because what you f- we have to get very comfortable seeing our kids uncomfortable because we have to know that we're teaching them emotional literacy. Now, what is emotional literacy? I want you to compare it to reading literacy. I used to teach first grade, one of my favorite grades to teach, and the kids would come in knowing the words the, of, and like, and they would leave the classroom 180 days later knowing how to read chapter books. Super rewarding, super amazing, and how did that happen? That didn't happen because they sat in the classroom and stared at the wall. That happened because we would do independent reading where they would read on their own. We would do shared reading where I would read a big book and they would read along with me. We would do guided reading where we'd sit at a table in a small group and we read books on their literacy level. It was called instructional level. You don't want to give a book that was too hard for a child because then they're going to get frustrated. You don't want to give a book that's too easy for the child because then they're going to get bored and they're not challenging themselves. So you want to find that sweet spot when you're teaching reading of their instructional level. So then there's words in there that they don't know all the words. And so then that's when we get to teach them strategies of what do we do when we get to a word we don't know. Huh, here are some strategies. We try to chunk the word. We try to look for parts that we do know. We try to sound it out. We try to look at picture clues. We look at context clues. What would make sense in this story? What would make sense in the sentence based on what I read before? There was a whole slew of strategies that we would teach them. We wouldn't say, I can't believe you don't know the word together. Go sit back at your desk. We would say, okay, here's a word we don't know. This is a big word. This was hard for me too when I was in first grade. And they look at you like, what? And so then we're like, do you want to chunk it? Look, it's two, then it's get, and then it's her. Let's put that all together. Oh, ironically, it's the word together. So you see how we teach reading literacy with three different parts. Remember I said the independent reading? Then I said the shared reading that was reading together as a class. And then the guided reading was three or four kids at the table reading on their instructional level. Okay, I really want you to get this because this is huge. The same concepts work with your kids when we're teaching them emotional literacy. What do you get? And we remember in the reading literacy, it was what do you do when you get to a word you don't know? Then we give them lots of strategies. Oh, and guess what, kid? Guess what, student? Guess what, awesome kid? I have trouble reading words too. And they're like, really? And so we're connecting on that and we're helping them. We're teaching them. We're holding the space to figure out the word together. The same thing works when we're teaching them emotional literacy. They know how to feel happy. They know how to feel excited. They know how to feel euphoria. Those are easy emotions. They don't know what in the world to do when they feel the negative emotions, when they feel the complex emotions. So who better to teach them than us? So what do you do when you get to a feeling that you don't know? First, you label it. Here's the emotion that you're probably feeling when they're younger. It seems like you keep it very basic. You're feeling very sad, feeling very mad. I can see that. And then the connective word is, I feel that way sometimes too. And they look at you like, what? And then you're going to fill their strategies, just like we taught them reading strategies. You're going to give them 
emotional literacy strategies, taking deep breaths, saying your name backwards, counting to 10, singing the ABCs backwards, because you're trying to get them out of the red zone. You're trying to teach them strategies so they can use that when they're independent of you. So the guided reading is akin to the guided emotional literacy because I'm sitting with them. They're having a complex emotion. So I completely detach. And we're going to do a whole podcast on what is detaching because you have to detach your ego and you have to get comfortable seeing your kids uncomfortable. And you have to know that feeling complex emotions is not a bad thing. I want my kids to have as many complex emotions as they can between here and when they go off to college because they're going to know not only that it's normal, they're going to know how to label it, and then they're going to have a boatload of strategies on what to do when they get to that complex emotions, just like they did have all those reading literacy skills. So you want to think of your home as an emotional laboratory and not expect perfection. And that's why I put that in the intro. Like we want the imperfect moments. We want the messy moments because it's just a smaller scale of what they're going to be dealing with when they get older. Because I don't know about you, but I have complex emotions every single stinking honking day. And I don't want to feel guilt and shame about it. I want to be able to feel it because when you feel an emotion, it's not that scary. You can't die from an emotion. You can't catch on fire. You can't drown. It's just a vibration going through your body and nothing bad actually happens. But the resistance of it and the pushing it away and the buffering and the drinking it away and the shopping it away and the eating it away, that's where we get ourselves into trouble because then we're not having the strategies that we can teach our kids. So our kids are always teaching us where we need to grow. Where do we need to manage our emotions better? And they will teach us. So if your kids are having a lot of anger issues and you want them to have anger strategies, what are you doing to manage your anger? It's super empowering. If your kids are having a lot of anxiety, how are you managing your anxiety? How can you teach them that? By modeling and embodying it. Because I always say that apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And that's very true. And I spent so many years trying to control the apples and that never worked. So now I just try to control the tree. I just make sure that the tree is filled with all the characteristics and all the traits that I want them to absorb from me when they need to absorb it. So if I want a child who is controlling their anger, I need to focus on how I'm controlling my anger. If I want a child who has a lot of anxiety and I want them to have strategies to control their anxiety, how am I managing my anxiety? If I have a child who's crying a lot, where are they seeing that? Where are they absorbing that? And how can I teach them better? So I teach this in a very simple method. It's very simple but it's not easy if you're completely enmeshed and codependent in your children being and acting a certain way, which I used to be. And that is where I got myself in a lot of trouble because I needed them to act and be and behave in a certain way so I could feel like a good mom. So once I detached from them and I saw them as a child of God, a child of the universe, child from the stork, whatever you actually believe, when I saw them as not belonging to me and just a soul having a human experience passing through my life and 20% of my life, my entire life, if I live to 100, 20% of that life, actually 18% of that life is spent with them in our four walls. That's not that much. So how do I want to show up? And so teaching emotional literacy, you don't need to focus so much on the apples in the tree. You just need to focus on the tree itself. So I always say, if you want your child to have a good relationship with their body, 
you have a good relationship with your body. If you want your child to have a good relationship with food, how is your relationship with food? If you want your child to have a good relationship with alcohol when they become the drinking age, what is being modeled through those 21 years before they go and they're able to drink? So always be thinking about it from what are they seeing from you and what are they absorbing from you? And that's where you're going to become super empowered that it's not really about the kids. So you have to remember that I spent the first part of this podcast talking about how to want the messy moments to happen. I call them messy moments because they look different if they're two, if they're 12. Um, They all look different. So I just call it a messy moment. And I want you to think about your child when they're having a messy moment as completely seeing red. They're like in a burning building. They're in a huge rainstorm. And so a lot of times when they're seeing all that red, we try to reason with them, but they're in the lower part of their brain and they cannot reason with you. They can't listen to you. Any lecturing goes right over their head. They don't even see it. Any type of adding flames to the fire, which I used to do, is just going to, any type of lecturing or reasoning is just going to add flames to the fire, which I used to do for so long. So I want you to start to think about how can I diffuse the tantrums? It's not making it okay because a lot of parents say, well, I'm just making it okay if I if I give them a big hug. And I'm not saying to be a doormat and let it happen and just, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the exact opposite. So the tantrum starts. The disrespect, the flipping out. I mean, my kids used to flip out and like their red faces were red. And I just want you to see it as your child is having a hard time. He or she is not giving you a hard time. But the ego and our fear and our lack always wants to make it about us. That is normal. That's what the brain does. But we are going to come from the heart space when we're working with our children. We're not going to come from the brain because the brain is not working for us. It always wants to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and be efficient. It doesn't like all this chaos. So it just wants to stop it, stop it, stop it, go away, go away, go away. And I don't know if you've noticed, but all of that stop it, stop it, stop it, timeouts, it doesn't work. Because I used to do it and it felt like Groundhog's Day. It was like, same problem, different day. Same tantrum, different day. So I was trying to get creative and reading and learning so much about how to detach and not make it about us and not make it about me. Because when I was making it about me, that's where my reaction came from. When I was coming from not being good enough and not feeling like a good enough mom, and I was so afraid of messing it up, that's where I was messing it up. So when the tantrum starts then I want you to completely detach because there's a moment between tantrum and your reaction. And in that moment is where the magic happens. I promise on a stack of Bibles, this is where the magic happens. It's not about having more patience because you can't find more patience at the store. You have to change your mindset about this and you have to see it as not a bad thing that your kids aren't happy all the time. The detaching is the hardest part but it's where the magic happens. It's in that moment where it's a nanosecond between their tantrum and your reaction. Then it becomes a second between their tantrum and your reaction. Then it becomes two seconds. Then it becomes five seconds. Then it becomes 10 seconds. Then you have a full minute between their tantrum and your reaction. So I'll always say, I'm going to stay calm to help you stay calm. The more upset that they are, the calmer you are because you are diffusing And in the meantime, as diffusing, you are also teaching them what to do when you're feeling frustrated. Because a lot of times parents get so frustrated with their own kids being frustrated that they're actually teaching their kids what to do when they're frustrated. Does that make sense? So if I'm flipping out because Lily or Grady are flipping out, then I'm actually teaching them when you're feeling stressed, just flip out. If Lily has a messy moment and I flip out on her, then Grady is absorbing that all and saying, okay, 
So when Lily makes mom upset, then she flips out. Okay, so that's what I'm going to do when Lily makes me upset. So next time Lily makes Grady upset, he's going to flip out because that's what mom does. Does that make sense? So they're always watching. They're always learning. They're always trying to figure out, like, what do I do with these complex emotions? Because they have no flipping idea and they shouldn't have an idea because their brains are still young and developing and impressionable. And they're so immature in the most beautiful way. Like they like think about I always call it the tooth fairy brain. If you have little ones around, you might want to cover up the ears. But like Grady, like if he loses a tooth, he literally thinks that a tooth fairy is going to fly into our house and leave a dollar underneath his pillow. And I call it the tooth fairy brain because that's the magic of kids. Like during the holidays, that's the magic of kids is that they see the wonder. They're so impressionable. They're such empty, empty. They're such beautiful, impressionable souls. They're just such an empty canvas. So we're constantly writing on their canvas every single day and writing on the DNA of who they are. So with this tooth fairy brain, we expect them to have all this emotional regulation when we're in our 40s and emotional regulation is hard for us. So how are they supposed to learn it unless we're teaching them and we're giving them strategies, but most importantly, that we're modeling and embodying it. So detaching is this first step. Detaching is the hardest part, but it's where the magic happens because you're, you're seeing the child is not a reflection of you. You're seeing the child having a hard time versus giving you a hard time. And that's how I saw all of my students when I was in the schools. I was a constantly conscious teacher because I didn't see their behavior as meaning anything about me as a teacher. I was like, wow, this kid's really having a hard time. We need to get some strategies. We need to get some interventions. We need to get the parents and we need to get the counselor involved. We need to get the, the behavior specialist. Like, let's get a team together. Let's, let's help this kid. This kid is really struggling because I always saw behavior as a language to me. And so that was where the disconnect was with my own kids is that I was so enmeshed and codependent and I didn't, I saw them as belonging to me. And so I, because I saw them as belonging to me, that's where the high reaction came from because I was so afraid of messing it up is that's where I was messing it up. So you're going to completely detach and in that moment, not make it about you because that's what the ego wants to do. That's where fear comes in. That's where lack comes in and it's completely normal. I don't want you beating yourself up and saying your parents messed up or I didn't have, I wasn't picked for the third grade kickball team and that's why this is happening. It's completely normal. But like Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. So completely detaching and then you label the emotion that you're seeing. So I'm detached. I'm in the detached state. So my voice is just like this. And I say, wow, you're having really big feelings or wow, you're feeling really frustrated or wow, you're feeling really sad. I can see you're feeling very blank. Depending on the age of the child, you use the word to match the emotion that you're seeing. Now, my kids are a little bit older, so I will give them a choice. Are you feeling frustrated or are you feeling lonely and left out? Are you feeling lonely or are you feeling guilty? So I'll give them a choice of two. So I'm not always telling them how they're feeling. Because they, in the beginning, they don't know what they're feeling. They're like, what is going on? I have this negative vibration going through my body. They're looking at us to help them. And if we flip out, they're going to be like, okay, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And then they're going to actually put it like a, they're going to be trying to hold that beach ball underwater and they don't have a clue with their tooth fairy brain. So younger kids, happy, sad. If they don't, if they're not even verbal, then you get a poster with the emotions and the pictures and the sad face. That's why those posters exist. So then they're able to label it. So then you label it for them. If they're older, you give them a choice to help to help them label it. And then this is where the magic happens. If they're younger, you start with something very basic, like I feel that way sometimes too. And they look at you like, what? 
are you talking about? If they're older, you can give them examples. You can give them stories. So I like to use the examples of um, if what do you feel like if you are trying to put your you're writing a paper for a class and you've written 11 pages and all of a sudden the power goes out and this is before autosave and you lose it all. Guess what? You're going to feel a little frustrated. That's the same emotion that children feel when they're trying to figure out their homework and it's too hard and it's overwhelming. So we want to connect on that emotion and we want to know that it's just a smaller version of how we feel as an adult. They're, the, the four walls for them is just a microcosm of what they're going to feel when they get out into the real world, when they leave the four walls. And the four walls, they might leave at 18, but they're also leaving when they go to school. So let's say I go to a baby shower and I'm going to go with one of my greatest friends. I don't know a lot of people there, but I'm going to go with one of my greatest friends. I'm on my way there. My girlfriend calls and says, sorry, I can't make it. Oh dear. I'm going to walk into that baby shower and I'm going to feel a little left out, a little out of place, a little fish out of water because I don't have my whoopee as my friend going with me. That's akin to the child when they go to lunch and they don't have anybody to sit with because their friend isn't there or they don't feel like they don't have any friends. So a child comes into the car and says, I didn't have anybody to sit with at lunch. And we're like, oh, well, tomorrow you can just sit with us. You could tomorrow, you just sit with, you could just, oh, well, let's fix this. Let's fix this because we are so uncomfortable seeing our kids uncomfortable. But when we get comfortable seeing our kids uncomfortable, then we connect on that emotional level. Like, wow, that must have been really scary or really lonely. I felt that way the other day when I was at the baby shower. Or I felt that way too when I was in your grade. Grady likes to hear stories about when I was his age and Lily likes to hear stories about something that happened this week. When I felt that complex emotion. So then we're normalizing it and normalizing it and normalizing it over and over and over. That sad, disappointment, frustration, angry, lonely, guilty, annoyed, not good enough. All those emotions are completely part of the human experience and nothing has gone wrong and they're completely normal. So we've detached the first step. Then we've labeled the emotion. Now we're going to connect and we connect through storytelling. We connect through, I feel that way sometimes too. It can be as simple as that. And this is a way that we're going to diffuse and connect. And when you have connection, you will start to have cooperation with your kids. A lot of times we want cooperate, 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 and then I'll connect. It's the exact opposite with kids. If they feel like you're on their side, they will move mountains for you. And then it's you with them versus you against them. And it's a totally different relationship, totally different dynamic. It's kind of like if you're having a bad day and you call a girlfriend and you're like, listen, this was a really tough day today. I was, you know, my boss wasn't happy with me. Um, I missed a deadline and I was really frustrated with a nasty email I got from a coworker. And imagine what you, what do you want to hear your friend say? That must've been really tough for you. I've had days like that too. That's really hard. I'm sorry. And they're like, oh, I'm not alone. Really? You've had days like that too? Oh, it's like a relief. Now imagine calling that same girlfriend and you say the same thing and she's like, get over it. Leave me alone. Stop it. Don't feel those negative emotions. Stop it. You're making a mountain out of a molehill. You're acting like a baby. You're going to look at the phone and be like, okay, I'll talk to you. Never. Let's not chat again. And the connection is completely broken. And it's not you with your girlfriend. It's you against your girlfriend. Like, okay, that didn't feel good. 
And you're going to feel guilt and shame for having a bad day because your girlfriend has no problem with you having a bad day, but it's the akin to our children having a bad day or having a messy moment. And so that's why I started off this podcast of like the imperfect moments with your kids are going to teach your kids that imperfect feelings are okay. And all the imperfect moments and all the imperfect feelings, it's all okay. We play a game in our house where we tell, we say, we go awesome and annoying. Like what are the all awesome things about that person? And what's something that's annoying about them? So we're dropping our egos all together and they'll tell me something that's annoying. I'm like, oh, I totally agree with that. And then Lily will say something about Grady. And he's like, yeah, I do that. And Grady will say something about Lily. And she's like, yeah, I do that. And then we'll say something about David. And he's like, yeah, I do that. And Dave will say something about us. And we're like, yeah, we do that. And then all the awesome things about us. And the coolest thing about that experience is that we're literally dropping our egos together. And we're like, you know what? There's a lot of awesome things about us. And there's a lot of things that are imperfect. And we love each other so much through it all. And we're teaching them unconditional love. And we're teaching each other unconditional love. And we're teaching imperfections. So then they can go out into the world and they don't have to be perfect. They they can feel the complex emotions and they're going to know what to do with the complex emotions. And they're not going to try to buffer away from them. They're not going to try to shop them away, smoke them away, drink them away, gamble them away, porn them away, Facebook them away, Netflix them away. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, this is part of the human experience. It's not that scary. It's just a vibration going through my body. Big whoop de doo da. Because for 18 years during the formative years, when their brain is growing and developing and their emotional skills are growing and their emotional literacy is growing, then they're like, oh, this is part. This is totally normal. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to feel sad when my boyfriend breaks up with me. I'm supposed to feel sad when I have a bad day. I'm supposed to feel frustrated. And I just, I can feel that emotion. No big deal. Because when you're willing to feel any human emotion, then you're not so scared and running from them and putting yourself in timeout when you're 44 years old. And so if a boss yells at you, you feel guilty. You feel yucky. It's the same thing our kids feel if we yell at them. And I always use the example I'll ask on Facebook. I'll say, what would you do if you were at your child's school And you were volunteering and you were in earshot of the classroom and you hear your child's teacher yelling at your child for being off task, let's say. What would you do? And I always say, I always caveat with like, this didn't happen in my classroom. This didn't happen in my kid's classroom. This is just an example, hypothetical. And the response is like, I would get a, I would get a conference immediately. I would get a, I would get the superintendent involved. I'd have the principal in my, in my, I would have been in the principal's office that day. I would have a conference with the teacher, with the principal, with the counselor, with the superintendent. I would go, I would get them removed immediately. And they go crazy. They're like, no way can someone yell at my child for being off task. And so I say, well, I want you to use that same mama bear protective energy when you're working with your kids, when they don't brush their teeth, when you ask them to. And we're going to do a whole podcast on how to get them to listen. But you can't get them to listen unless you're detached and you can see them as a soul having human experience and you don't see them as a reflection of you. And you're not coming from fear and lack, but you're coming from abundance and love and compassion. And you're just seeing them as a child that's trying to teach you where you need to grow. And it's not you against them. So we're completely detached. That's step one. Then we label the emotion. Then we storytell and connect by saying, I feel that way sometimes too. I felt that way when I was at the baby shower. I was trying to set up my website and I felt very frustrated. I know how that feels. You probably feel frustrated right now with this homework because this double digit addition is tough stuff. I'm like, Grady, when I did double digit subtraction, I thought I was going, I didn't think I was ever going to get it. He's like, that's how I feel sometimes too, mommy, about division because he's trying to learn division. He's like, sometimes it's so hard. I'm like, I know, buddy, it is so hard. It was hard for me too. And you know what else is hard for me? Doing a podcast, setting up a website 
putting myself out there. It's really hard and I'm really nervous because vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So I want them to see me as vulnerable. I want them to be see me trying hard, hard things. I don't want to push them to do hard things. They can do whatever they want in their life. I just want to model and embody the traits that I want them to absorb from me. That's all. That's the only thing I can really control in all of it. So if they turn out awesome in life, that's on them. If they mess up their whole life, that's on them. That's what their soul is supposed to happen. I'm just making sure my side of the street is clean during the 940 Saturdays. And that is super fun way to parent from because I'm like, oh, I don't need to control the universe. I just need to control my side of the street and see what I'm modeling and what I'm embodying and seeing what they're seeing in me. Game on like Donkey Kong. Let's do this life thing. And so after you detach, then you're going to label. Then you're going to connect or normalize or storytell. It's all the same. I'll say normalize. I like that word normalize. So we're detached. We label. We normalize and then support. The support is where it gets really fun because you can teach them not during the messy moment. See, the thing is, a lot of times we try to connect and teach and talk and and reason with a child when they're in the red zone and they're in the lower part of their brain and they can't see through the red. So I want you to consider that it's like talking to someone who's had too much to drink. Have you ever tried to talk to someone who's had too much to drink? And it's like literally like blah, blah, blah. They're just like slurring and they're just like, no, I wish you wouldn't drink so much. And they're just like, I don't drink so much. And it just turns into this awful, awful experience. It's the same way because they're working from their lower brain. It's the same way when we're working with our kids when they're having their messy moments. We try to reason and lecture and you shouldn't. And then it's this big battle back and forth. And we're teaching them conflict resolution while we're yelling at them that when you feel stressed, then just yell. What do I want to teach them? And so during the calm moments, during the calm waters, if they're younger, then you can teach them strategies. Number one, modeling how you handle when when you're in traffic and someone cuts you off. How are you handling that? That's the same way they're going to handle when someone cuts them in line, someone takes their toy, or someone sits in the chair that they thought they should have been theirs. It's the same way. So if you're yelling and screaming in the car, They're going to be yelling and screaming. You're like, where is this coming from? And don't come from a place of beating yourself up. Come from a place of like, oh, this is super cool. I don't need to worry about this part. I just need to worry about my side of the street. And so the support part is a really fun part because during the calm waters is when you're going to teach them. When you have a frustrating moment with your spouse or with a coworker or you're on the phone or someone cuts you off, how are you handling your complex emotions? That's number one, because modeling and embodying is the number one teacher for kids because they are absorbing all of it. Their absorption rate is astronomical. Think about when you were pregnant, if you were pregnant and you actually carried them in your belly or if you had a surrogate or if you even if you did in vitro or if you adopted. You were very when they were younger and they were babies, you were very conscientious of your energy around them. And if you were if they were in your belly You were very conscientious of what you ate because you knew what you ate was going to be absorbed from them when they were in your womb. So you probably ate, like I know when I was pregnant, I ate a lot of spinach because I heard that was good. I stayed away from Subway turkey because I heard that was bad, even though I love Subway. I didn't drink any Diet Coke. I tried to monitor my sugar. I wasn't perfect, but I was very conscientious about it. I was like, I am eating for two and I know what I am drinking. I drink enough water because I knew that I wanted the baby to get enough water. So the same thing was it works with your kids and energy. 
the energy in which you bring to the relationship is the energy that they're going to absorb just like when they were in your womb. It's super powerful. So how am I teaching that during the calm waters? What am I doing when I'm feeling frustrated, sad, angry, disappointed, when it has nothing to do with them? What are they seeing there? And so when it's calm waters, you can do a lot of role-playing. We did a lot of role-playing when they were little with puppets and we did um, with stuffed animals and we did it with each other. We would sit, like we were pretending we were sitting in the classroom and then they would be the student who was acting out. Then they would be the student that was, then I would be the student that was acting out. Then I would be, then I would ask for advice if I was acting out. And so whatever you want to help them with, teach them during the calm waters because then you're going to be able to give them strategies. So when I was teaching them a lot of strategies, I was always watching to see what I was modeling and embodying. And I was also figuring out what was really working for them. So once you give them some strategies, then you give them a choice of two strategies during the support stage. Okay. If they're really young, they're probably not ready for the choices. So you can give them an idea and you can kind of see during the role playing what they gravitate towards. My kids are very different in what they gravitate towards. Grady needs a lot of support, not so much anymore, but when he was younger, he needed a lot of support and he wanted me there and he wanted me to help him calm down. Whereas Lily needed time alone and time away, but not like go to your room. It was like, do you need, I would ask her, do you need help calming down or do you want to calm down by yourself? And she would use it, calm down by herself. And then she would go get a stuffed animal. She would turn on the Alexa. She would um, just take a breather. Um, Where Grady was the opposite, where he was like, I need help. I need help. I need help. And so some things that he liked to do was, um, I would say, do you want to, and these are all strategies that I taught during calm waters. That's very, very important to note. So I would say, do you want to spell your name backwards or do you want to make soup? And making soup was probably his favorite thing ever. It was really um, a simple thing. So making soup was his favorite. And so I would say, do you want to make soup or do you want to spell your name backwards? And he would, and what you're doing when you're giving them support and you're giving them a little trick or that little game is number one, you're giving them a strategy and you're also teaching them like, take a breather, calm down. You're getting them out of the red zone. You're getting them out of the fiery building. You're acting like the fire extinguisher instead of the fire and flame. You're not adding oil to the fire. And so you're actually helping them to calm down versus just expecting them to calm down when they have no idea. I think I've said that like 45 times. They have no idea how to calm down. And sometimes in the, I'm in my 40s, I don't know how to calm down. So you're teaching them during the calm waters, different strategies, and then Grady's favorite was making soup where I'd say, do you want to make soup or do you want to spell your name backwards? He usually choose soup. And then I'd say, okay, I'm going to make Scooby-Doo soup and you're going to, what kind of soup do you want to make? I want to make SpongeBob soup. So then we put our hands in a little bowl shaped pretend. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to add in Shaggy and Scooby and the Scooby snacks. What are you going to add? And he's like, I'm going to add SpongeBob and Krabby Patties and Gary. And so we put them in the soup and then we shake it up and we stir it. And then we're like, okay, let's breathe, smell the soup. So I'm teaching them breathing techniques. I'm not just doing this because I want to make soup and play a game. I'm teaching them to calm down. I'm teaching them how to calm down, not to not like go to your room and figure it out. They don't know. That's like giving them a, a child a book that's not on their instructional level. Like, go figure it out. Oh, you can't figure it out? Well, go figure it out. Go figure it out. It's like hitting your head against the wall. And the kid's like, dude, I don't know how to figure this out. You got to help me, chicken. I love calling my kids chicken. So then we smell the soup, then we cool it off. It's too hot. We can't eat it. So we do that a couple of times. I'm kind of, I'm kind of seeing like how many more breaths does he need? And so then we'll take a couple more breaths or a couple more sniffs of it. And then we'll cool it off. And then we'll share our Scooby-Doo soup and he'll share the SpongeBob soup with me. Oh, I need some more salt next time. What do you think? Do you need some more pepper? And then 
you kind of calm down and out of the red zone, and then you can carry on with what you're doing. And if it's necessary, you can go back, but you kind of just take note like, okay, that was a triggering thing for him. How can I help him next time to avoid that or to um, prevent that, to be more proactive versus reactive? Because I was always such a reactive parent, like react, react, react. And now I'm trying to teach parents to be more proactive instead of like, they're always asking me like, what do you do when, what do you do when, what do you do when? And I'm always like, Instead of saying, what do you do when, what do you do to prevent? What do you do? Like my kids are sick over and over and over. And I just keep them giving them Tylenol and ibuprofen and just keeping them medicine after medicine after medicine. Then I'm not really fixing the problem if I'm not looking at their diet. I'm not looking at their any vitamins. Are they washing their hands? Are they rubbing their eyes? Are they putting their hands in their mouth? Are they running a lot of germy situations? Are they getting enough sleep? If I'm not looking at the whole child and I'm just keep giving them ibuprofen, 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 I'm just putting a Band-Aid over it and nothing really changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. So during the support stage is where you get really empowered because now you're empowering the child. Instead of what do you do when you get to the word you don't know, what do you do when you get to emotion you don't know? Oh, I felt this one before. I like making soup. Lily likes listening to music. So instead of saying, go to your room until you calm down, do you want to go to your room to calm down or do you want me to help you calm down? See how that's different? So it was funny because one time Grady was at Wendy's with my dad and, and Lily and, um, <laughs> and they both went to go sit in the same chair and Grady wanted the chair and he's like four. And he's flipping out. I wanted that chair. That was my chair. And he's like going crazy, seeing red. And my dad's like, uh, what do I do here? And then so Grady starts screaming, I need soup. I need soup. I need soup. And then my dad's like, uh, buddy, they don't have any soup at Wendy's. And what he was asking, he's like, I need help calming down grandpa because I don't know how to do it. And later I was, then Lily's like, oh, he wants to, you know, Lily helped him, helped grandpa help Grady. And so my dad told me the story later and I was dying that he's screaming in Wendy's, I need soup, I need soup. And so your kids don't know it naturally. And a big trigger for kids is remember the acronym HALT. They are going to act out a lot when they're HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Oh, and look at that. It's the same for adults. I know when I'm hungry, I get a little cranky. I get a little hangry. When I'm angry, I get angry. When I'm lonely, I feel a little sad and left out. When I'm tired, oh, watch out, mama. So just know that our kids, they are upset. And we might not understand why they're upset that we gave them the wrong sippy cup color or they didn't get the seat or that someone took their toy. But we also have to remember that their brains are still young and developing and they still have the tooth fairy brain. So it's not to excuse it and be like, oh, cry all you want, tantrum all you want, and just let them get away with it. It's actually the exact opposite. You're actually teaching them and holding the space. And so what happens over time is that they're going to have strategies and they're going to be able to tell you before they get to the red zone, I'm feeling really disappointed here. I don't really know. I'm feeling really sad. I need some help. Or they'll be able to tell you on their own and you'll see them using the strategies on their own. It's super cool. And after doing this for a long time and the kids just seeing this over and over and over, Grady was really upset about a tennis match and they were playing tennis outside. And I, Lily brought him in the room. She's like, mom, I got this. And she's like five at the time. And Grady's like three. And I got it on video. I, it's like the coolest video ever. And it's really not about my kids. It's about the process and how well it works. Because when the kids, that's all they know. They just, that's that's all they know. If they have a lot of yelling and screaming toxicity, then that's all they're going to know. If they have like calm and conflict resolution and strategies and empathy, then they're gonna, that's all they're going to know. It's super cool because kids are empty slates and they're just blank slates that we're writing on them. So Grady brings, Lily brings Grady into the room and she's like, you're feeling frustrated, right? 
He's like, yeah, I just keep popping it and popping it and it wouldn't go through. And then she goes, I feel that way sometimes too, Grady. The other day I was trying to do my spelling words and I, I think I missed them all. And today I studied and I studied and today I just think I just missed one. So I know how you feel, Grady. So what do you think we should do? How about I give you my tennis racket? And it's not like my kids are unicorn kids because before conscious parenting, before doing all this work, that tennis experience would have been a nightmare. Everybody going to bed early, people in timeout, chaos and screaming, toxicity, like it wouldn't have been fun. And so I was just so happy that it happened. So I never want you to think that I'm ever bragging about my kids. If anything, I'm just showing you how well it works and they're very imperfect and they have lots of messy moments and that's okay. I want the messy moments. I want it all to happen within my four walls because then I can hold the space and I can teach them emotional literacy. So instead of trying to tame the tantrum and run from the tantrum and stop it, stop it, stop it, how about we embrace them and we detach and we label and we mirror and we connect with them over the story because when you have connection, you'll have cooperation. You're gonna detach, you're gonna mirror, which you're just gonna label the emotion, D-M-N-S, Detach, mirror, normalize, support. D-M-N-S. Detach, mirror, normalize, support. So the detaching is it's not about you. The mirroring is you're just going to label the feeling. The normalizing is just the storytelling. Just like, I feel that way sometimes too. That's where the connection is made big time. And then the support is where you give them support. If they don't have support and they don't have the tools in their tool belt, then you put the tools in their tool belt during the calm water so then you can pull them out while they're having their messy moment. Just like when we're teaching emotional literacy. Emotional literacy is the same thing as reading literacy. My kids, my students, when they learned how to read the chapter books is because they had tons of strategies. They were filled with them. Okay, this strategy didn't work. Let's try this one. So I want you to think about your tantrums that you see in your children as just a child having a basic human emotion and they have no idea what to do with it. And so our job as parents is to model and embody it and also teach them and connect with them during that. It's amazing how much connection can happen during the messy moments. And when they feel like they're on, that you're on their side, it's game on like Donkey Kong. Parenting gets a lot more fun because when you get comfortable seeing your kids uncomfortable, it's really not that uncomfortable at all. So I hope this helped and please let me know your biggest takeaway because I love hearing from you and I'll see you in the next episode. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was. What was that lightning bolt resonating moment while you were listening? I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.